Hello, it's TechBiter Worldwide, formerly Technology Corner, for the week of March 25th, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. This week, a continuing look at Office Suites, specifically a look at OpenOffice 2.1. Microsoft Office 2003, WordPerfect Office X3, Microsoft Office 2007, and OpenOffice 2. Those are the four choices that I came up with. If you're looking for a suite that includes a word processor, a spreadsheet, a presentation program, and a database application. If you need integrated email, calendar, and task manager, then you have to leave out OpenOffice. But my question is, do you really need an integrated email program, calendar, and task manager? And by the way, one of the nice things about sending an email out on Saturday about the program that's going to be on on Sunday is that sometimes I get feedback before the program even runs. I heard about another Office Suite. This one is called Office Suite 2006, Word Processing and Spreadsheet Only. So it isn't a full suite, but a lot of people don't need the database application. I took a quick look at Office Suite 2006, just to see what it is. It's a German product, and it is very low-priced, about 15 to $30, depending on where you buy it. More on Office Suite 2006 in a later program, but I thought I'd mention it now. OpenOffice version 2.1 brings increased stability and bug fixes over 2.0. It also adds some new features, such as an extensions framework for third-party developers. In fact, that is a feature that offers the most promise Those who use Firefox as their primary browser, as I do, can attest to the power of extensions when it comes to the ability to custom build a browser that works exactly the way you want it to and has the features you want. Well, that's exactly what could happen with OpenOffice. And the price is certainly right. It's free. The program now includes entry points for various aspects of creating and distributing extensions, add-ons, add-ins, even templates and galleries. One of the reasons that I see this as the future of computing is that this is the past of computing. Back in the days of mainframes, system administrators wrote and shared utilities. In the early days of PCs, nearly all applications were freeware or shareware. The open source community is made up of people who not only recognize the need to improve applications, but they have the programming skills to do it. OpenOffice proponents and those who promote WordPerfect Office talk about being able to trade files with Microsoft Office users. Well, that's true, but it's also false. Send me a Word file, and I'll open it in OpenOffice Writer or WordPerfect. Send me an Excel file, and I'll probably be able to open it in OpenOffice Calc or Quattro Pro. Problem is, if I decide to edit the file you sent me and send it back to you, you might not be happy. In fact, I just tried opening a Word file that has several screen captures in it. If I open it in Word, the formatting is fine, such as the formatting is. Word doesn't do a lot of formatting. But it does have some bulleted text, some indents, and, of course, the images. OpenOffice Writer gets the typeface right, but the vertical spacing is off. Text that fits in a single page in Word doesn't fit in a single page in Writer. Same kinds of things happen with other Office applications. So the lesson for me is this. If you need to be able to share and work on documents from somebody else, use the same program. 
If your office has standardized on Word and you need to take files home to work on them, you probably need Word. On the other hand, if you just need applications for word processing, number processing, and data processing at home or in a small office where you have control over what applications are used, then OpenOffice is an excellent choice, and you can't beat the price. It's free. The applications have plenty of features for all but the most powerful of power users. So the question I receive frequently is whether it's time to switch to OpenOffice. The answer I have to provide is always disappointing. It's that I don't know. If you don't need the features that OpenOffice doesn't have, then OpenOffice is a good choice. But if missing any one of the features of Word, Excel, PowerPoint, or Access is a problem, or if you have to have that integrated personal information manager and email application, then you have to stick with the Microsoft products. Although differences between the suites have become smaller with every release, Microsoft has changed just about everything with Office 2007. That could work to be as much of a disadvantage for Microsoft as it would be a point of differentiation for the Microsoft Office suite. There are users who simply don't want to take the time to learn that new user interface, even if it would make them more productive in the long run. I think if I were a product manager at Microsoft, this would be a most uncomfortable time, wondering when that gigantic meteor called open source will hit and what will happen when it does. The Recording Industry Association of America seems to be trying to drop a hot potato. The association filed suit against a divorced mother accusing her of being a pirate. Now the RIAA wants to drop the case, but the judge says the organization has just two options, and dropping the case isn't one of them. The RIAA can proceed with a jury trial against Patty Santanglio or ask to have the suit dismissed with prejudice. If the RIAA decides to have the suit dismissed with prejudice, Santanglio becomes effectively the winner and can collect attorney's fees from the RIAA. Now, those expenses could be substantial because the case is two years old. Maybe you think this would be poetic justice. Santangleo is a mother of five. She decided to fight back against the RIAA and requested a jury trial. The first time a suit by the RIAA against an alleged pirate has gotten this far. Santangleo refused to pay the RIAA's settlement center and says that she is innocent, although she does admit that a computer in her home may have been misused. The likely culprit, she says, is a friend of her children. When the RIAA files suit, it usually offers to make the suit go away if the person being sued settles. Cost of settlement? Usually a few thousand dollars. They threaten to sue for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Most people just give up and hand over the money. Santanglio, it seems, has fought back. When the RIAA files suit, though, all it has is an IP address. This seems equivalent to the police filing charges against someone based solely on an automobile's license plate, regardless of who was operating the vehicle. Some legal experts say relying on an IP address is insufficient. Perhaps we'll find out. The RIAA continues to be its own worst enemy. Earlier, the association filed suit against 83-year-old Gertrude Walton, claiming that she had shared 700 pop rock and rap tunes. One problem with the suit was the fact that Walton was dead at the time. According to Walton's daughter, the woman who lived in Beckley, West Virginia, hated computers and wouldn't even have one in her house. 
before the family went public in 2005 in an effort to shame the RIAA into dropping the suit, Robin Chinamba says that she sent a copy of her mother's death certificate to the record company lawyers. They filed suit anyway. Later, RIAA attorneys agreed that there had been a mistake made and filed a motion to dismiss the case. And then there was the suit in 2003. That's the one that charged a 12-year-old girl with copyright infringement. The girl's computer has an, had an MP3 file of her favorite TV show's theme. The parents paid $2,000 that they really didn't have to settle the suit. Truth isn't always the RIAA's trump card, either. According to Wikipedia, in a Brooklyn case, the RIAA's lawyers wrote to the judge that they were in possession of a letter which, quoting the RIAA, America Online Inc. has confirmed that defendant was the owner of the Internet Access account through which hundreds of plaintiff's sound recordings were downloaded and distributed to the public without plaintiff's consent. End of quoted material. Well, later the defense obtained a copy of that letter. The letter simply identified the defendant as the owner of an Internet Access account. That letter from AOL mentioned nothing about downloading or distributing music. Maybe the RIAA needs to be in a different line of business. In nerdly news, there is some competition coming for YouTube. This is from the not-exactly-surprising news department. News Corp and NBC have announced plans to distribute episodes of 24, The Office, and other programs. They'll be on AOL, Yahoo, MSN, and MySpace. They'll use an embedded media player on those sites, and they'll set up their own YouTube-like video site that will be free and supported by advertising. Users will be able to buy downloads of movies from 20th Century Fox and Universal. They'll also be able to post their own videos. Media companies have been trying to figure out exactly how to respond to YouTube. Viacom, for example, has filed suit against YouTube, asking for $1 billion. Viacom's claiming copyright infringement. That new venture, by the way, should begin this summer. Here's something that's related. The Wall Street Journal's Walter Mossberg this week had some thoughts on suits such as the one Viacom filed against YouTube and about the problems of what most technologists consider to be a bad piece of legislation the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, DMCA. That act is no stranger on this program. Consumers are the losers, Mossberg says. I'm not a lawyer, according to Mossberg, and I have no idea how this lawsuit will wind up. I suspect that it is mainly a bargaining tactic by Viacom, but I know one thing. This fight isn't primarily about consumers and their rights, and its outcome won't necessarily make things better for Internet users. Mossberg doesn't quibble with the concept of intellectual property rights. But the DMCA is a heavy-handed solution that fails to solve the problem while making life harder for consumers. In short, it's, as I see it, a typical federal government response that's the result of Congress listening more to lobbyists than to consumers or common sense. Mossberg says most honest people wouldn't consider it piracy to buy a CD, copy it to a computer, and email one of the songs to a spouse or a friend. But the record industry, backed by the laws it essentially wrote, does. Most honest people wouldn't think that uploading to YouTube a two-minute TV clip, which they paid their cable company to receive, is piracy. But Viacom, backed by laws its industry essentially wrote, is demanding that Google remove all such clips. He goes on to equate such usages to fair use, 
which allowed limited duplication of some materials under previous copyright legislation. Under fair use, says Mossberg, as most non-lawyers have understood it, you could quote this sentence in another publication without permission, although you would need permission of the newspaper to reprint the entire column or a large part of it. A two-minute portion of a 30-minute TV show seems like the same thing to me. And, in fact, I just quoted Mossberg without asking his permission under that fair use provision. If you want to read Mossberg's entire column, which I could not legally reproduce on the website or speak here, check the Wall Street Journal website. There's a link to that from techbiter.com. You could buy a DVD and run it through a program that lets you watch it on a handheld device. You'd like to do that, perhaps, but the question is, is that legal? Well, we've just been talking about the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and of course, common sense would suggest that it would be legal. The DMCA would suggest that it is not. If you want a DVD and you also would like to be able to watch the video on some other device, well, you just have to buy another copy if you want to be legal. This week, a copyright infringement trial got underway in San Jose. The DVD Content Control Association has filed suit against Kaleidoscape Systems, manufacturer of a DVD jukebox that connects via Ethernet to a separate player. Users can install videos from their DVDs on the system's hard drive, then watch the videos on their home televisions. Illegal, shouts the DVD CCA. Well, of course it would be illegal for consumers to buy a DVD, copy it, and then start selling the copies. But if you buy a DVD and you want to store that data locally for your own use, should this be a concern to some industry group? That's what the trial is all about. Kaleidoscape servers are expensive. You probably don't have one at home. I certainly don't. They're thousands of dollars. So these aren't devices that are soon going to be popping up in every home. However, given the way electronics work, devices that cost thousands today will probably be selling for $500 in a few years. That's probably what worries the DVD Content Control Association. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of March 25th, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website www.techbiter.com and you can send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.